Thank you for listening to a student ministry sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about the student ministry or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's student ministry sermon. Last week we looked at two letters that Paul wrote to the same church, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And for the next two weeks we're going to be looking at uh, two more letters written to the same church, but a different one, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. They were both written to the church in Corinth, but they're a lot longer, so we got to give them both their own week. And Paul was actually in Corinth whenever he wrote the letter to the Thessalonians, and he spent about a year and a half there, so he had a pretty decent ministry. And uh, Corinth was... I mean, it's one of those cities where maybe you visit every now and then, but not a lot of people would want to live there. Uh, it, was, it was a land of opportunity, uh, religious opportunity. One traveler said just in a walk through the city, he found at least 26 different religious sacred sites. So if you wanted to worship this God or that, that God or, or this goddess, you could just find whatever you wanted. A financial opportunity. It was a newer city. So there wasn't a lot of old families ruling everything and sexual opportunity, to be honest. It was uh, in the ancient world, they, they made up a word called to Corinthianize and it meant to commit sexual fornication. Matter of fact, one, uh, one writer said that not every man can afford the trip to Corinth and he's referring to their flourishing and somewhat expensive sex industry. Uh, somebody once said, if you take Vegas and New York and LA and mash them up into one, you get Corinth. So that's the city that we're talking about. And the church was kind of a hot mess, too. Uh, they had, uh, they, they had uh, people getting drunk at communion. They had um, one guy was actually in a sexual relationship with his stepmom. And not only was this happening, but they looked at that and they, did, they weren't ashamed of it. They were like, well, this means we're spiritual and sophisticated. So they were a mess. And Paul hears about this from two sources. Uh, he gets a letter from the church saying, hey, will you help us deal with just a list of issues? And then he gets a report from one of the groups of people that he knew that said, hey, here's kind of what's going on. And so he wrote this letter, 1 Corinthians, to address these various issues. And really the whole letter revolves around one thing, how to be God's holy people in a world that doesn't have a whole lot of interest in God. Sound familiar? And so in a way, 1 Corinthians is very relevant to our world because we find ourselves in a similar situation. And Paul's point pretty consistently through the whole thing is be holy, which means be separate, be different. You don't follow the same rules as the people who you know in the world. So you're not expected to live the same way. And you probably ought to expect that sometimes people are going to look at you and say, you're kind of weird. And so Paul's very clear about you separate from the darkest darkness, not so that you can feel good about yourself, but so that you can bring light back to that darkness. You're not leaving the world. You're just living differently within it. And so that's what 1 Corinthians is all about. So uh, lean in and listen as we talk about surrendering to the change by separating together so that we might advance God's kingdom in our world. Hello, ladies. Uh, my name is Beth, for those of you that may not know me, and I am actually married to the guy in the video, the one that looks like Harry Potter. <laughs> That's my husband. So anyway, I'm really excited to be here with you guys because I knew he was doing all those videos for you, and I'm going to jump right in with kind of a crazy story. So there's a story of this scientific experiment that was done on monkeys way, 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 long, 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 long time ago in 1967. 
So there was this experiment done on monkeys, and they were looking at the behavior of monkeys when they were under peer pressure. So here's what they did. Researchers took five monkeys, and they put them all in a room together. And in this room, they had hung a banana from the ceiling, and they had placed a ladder under the banana. So naturally, when the monkeys get in the room, one of the monkeys immediately spots the banana, and he takes off for the ladder. He starts climbing up, and when he gets about halfway up, the researchers spray this monkey with freezing cold water. And they don't just spray him, they spray all of the monkeys with water. So after a few minutes, after the monkeys have kind of recovered, a second monkey decides to try it out. So he heads for the ladder, gets about halfway up, and again, the researchers spray him and all the other monkeys with freezing water. Now, they only attempt this a couple more times, and then they're done. They don't like being sprayed with cold water. It's not worth it. So they kind of stay off to the side. Well, then the researchers decide to take one of those monkeys out of the room and replace it with a brand new monkey. Well, this monkey doesn't know anything about the water, so of course he sees the banana and takes off for the ladder. But he only gets to the very first rung, and then all of the other monkeys in the room jump on him and start beating the snot out of this monkey. Now this monkey's like, whoa, I don't even know what's happening. I don't know why I'm being beaten, but he registered being beaten with the banana, and so he steered clear. Well, then the, the researchers did it again. They took out a second monkey, and they brought in a second brand new monkey. Of course, this monkey headed for the ladder, got to about the first rung, and all of them jumped on top and started beating him up, including that other new monkey. He just jumped right in. He still has no idea why we're beating up monkeys who want bananas, but hey, everybody else is doing it, so it must be right. They do it again. They take out the third, they bring in a new one. They take out the fourth original monkey, bring in a new one. They take out the fifth original monkey, bring in a new one. Same thing every time. Now... The room is filled with five brand new monkeys. None of these monkeys have ever been sprayed with freezing cold water. They have no history, they have no reason, but they just give up. They can see the sweet reward right there. And this crazy behavior, this culture that's been created makes absolutely no sense to them, but they're not going for it. Not a single one of those monkeys had the guts to separate himself from the crowd. So here we are talking about the church in Corinth. Now, Paul planted this church, and when he left there, he knew that there were some strong Christians leading this place. They were getting stuff done, and they were doing stuff well, and then all of the sudden, he starts getting word that all of those people in the church in Corinth are running around like a bunch of crazy apes, and they're engaging in behaviors that are really bizarre. I mean, you heard what Michael said. He's getting wind that there's people getting drunk at the communion table. There are actually people from this church that are going out and advertising to the people in Corinth, hey, you should come to my church. It's a great place to have sex. No, no joke. And then we have the guy who just, you know, bypasses the prostitutes in the church altogether and just sleeps with his stepmom. And the worst part about all of this is that the people in this church are bragging about their behavior. See, the way they saw it was they were like, hey, we're just embracing our new culture. We, we found a way to connect with the Corinthian people in a way that they understand. We found a way to fit in, and we're pretty proud of ourselves. <laughs> then they get their letter from Paul, and he immediately shakes them right out of their peer-pressured coma. And he says to them, no, no. 
You have got this all wrong. You were never meant to go there and fit in. You're supposed to stand out. And this is not the only place that we hear this kind of language being used about the church. You can look all through the New Testament. Start in the book of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, we see the church, us, described as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We're put up there where everybody can see. They see what we do. They see what we say. They see how we act. It's out there for everyone to look at as an example. If you go on to John chapter 17, we see Jesus himself praying to God for all believers. And he's praying that we'll understand that, yeah, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. You keep going and look in Romans chapter 1, we're described as a holy people. And that word holy can also be used as set apart or separate. In 1 Corinthians, the book we're talking about, in the very first chapter, Paul says we're supposed to be a sanctified people. That means we've been saved. We've been saved from this crazy culture. We're free from this. We don't have to be like this anymore. Toward the end of the New Testament, in 1 Peter, Peter tells us that we're aliens or foreigners in this land. That means that we don't belong here. This isn't our final destination, so we don't need to act like the people of this place. In Colossians, we're told that we're chosen. We've been picked. We've been picked out to be sanctified and set apart and separate. So yeah, church, when you're surrounded by a culture who doesn't care about the sweet reward, when you're surrounded by a culture that doesn't make any sense, when you're surrounded by a culture who cares nothing for the things that God cares about, that is not a culture that you want to fit into. It's time to stand out. But let's be honest. I mean, as much as we want to do right by God, and we do, I mean, separating ourselves from everyone that we know and everything that we know, I mean, that's kind of scary, right? I, I want to be a source of change, but I don't want to be separate. I don't want to leave everything and everyone that I know. I don't want to be alone. And if that's how you guys feel when you hear be separate, I want to tell you that's completely legit. I get those feelings. And I want to tell you two things that I want you to remember and I want you to think about when you hear separate. Two things that I want you to remember that means being separate for God. And the first thing is this. To be separate does not mean that you completely withdraw from everything that you know and from everyone that you know. You don't. It just means you change. You stay right where you are, but you live differently when everything around you stays the same. And the second thing I want to tell you, and this will probably be a great relief to you, is this. The command to be separate was never a command to be alone. God wants you to live separate, yes, but he wants you to live separate together. Think about this. All of the great stories of our day, they are not stories about single individuals. Whether it's movies, TVs, books, whatever it is, these are tales told about groups of friends. Friends who stand out and stand together, right? Iron Man and Captain America, Thor, Hulk, they all have their own individual movie series, and they're good, but they are not the blockbusters that the Avengers is, right? Right? Because they're better together. 
And if the show was called Gilmore Girl, I don't know, I might watch it. But wait, Gilmore Girls? Plural? Like relationships? Well, that's a different story. And let's face it, Harry Potter would have been dead in the middle of the first book if it weren't for the genius of Hermione Granger. <laughs> right? Yes, and maybe some of the dumb luck of Ron Weasley, too. But the fact is that friends stand together. It's what they do. And it's not just the stories of our day. It's the stories that have, begin, have been since the beginning of time. If you look through your Bibles and you start in the beginning of the Old Testament, think about all of the duos, the pairs, the teams, the friends who stuck together, living separate, but together. You've got Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb, David and Jonathan. Get to the New Testament, there's Paul and Silas and so many more. So yes, God wants us to be separate, but he's designed us to be separate together. God is a creator of unity, and you can see it everywhere that you look. Birds fly in groups, fish swim in schools, caribou stampede in herds, wolves run in packs, and humans do too. So find your people and stick together. So I guess that kind of leaves us with just one remaining question. How do I know if I've found my people, right? All right, so it's natural to be drawn to people that you have similarities with. I mean, maybe some of you guys have close friends because you met in band or because you both really love fashion or because you happen to be in volleyball camp together. I don't know what it is. I mean, similarities bring us together. It's a start, but it's rarely enough. Maybe some of you guys have really close friends because you kind of got stuck together. I mean, maybe you guys have been in the same class since kindergarten. Or maybe your moms are besties, so you're just, like, supposed to be, too. Or maybe your family. It's kind of hard not to be friends with your family. All of that's good. All of that's fine. But there's more. The kind of unity that we're talking about is, it goes way deeper than just hobbies or happenstance. This is unity of the heart. God's heart. If you look at 1 Corinthians, the book we're talking about tonight, and you go toward the end in chapter 12, you see there that Paul describes the church as a body. And he says that every person is a part of that body. So if we're all a part of one body, if we're all one person, and we're all on the same page, and we're all carrying the same passion, then we should be ready to commit to living separately together. I mean, think about what it would look like. Some of you guys may be the arms of the body. You're the girls who just get stuff done, you know? Some of you are the eyes. You see things and people and hurt and opportunity that not everybody sees. Some of you are the listening ears. You're full of compassion and empathy. Some of you are the feet the beautiful feet that will carry the good news to some very dark and broken places. So imagine if all of those parts of the body come together, if all of those parts are present and moving in the same direction, if all of the parts of the body are in unity, imagine the amazing things that can happen. Gifts will be discovered, love will be shared, and the kingdom will be advanced. So here's just a few things that I want you to be thinking about when you leave here tonight. The fact is, is that you are without a doubt in your own version 
of Corinth. Every single day, you're surrounded by people and culture who care nothing about the things of God. So I want to know, are you going to be a brave little monkey? Are you going to separate yourself from the crowd? Because I guarantee you that reward is going to be pretty sweet if you do. And if you are ready to stand out and be separate, have you surrounded yourself with the right people so that you're not standing alone? Are there any friendships that you're in right now that should probably end? Are there friendships that you need to begin? It's something to think about. And when you think about unity in Christ and you think about being a body, what gifts do you bring to the body? And how are you going to use those to advance the kingdom? Because you can and you will. Now, I know the idea of living separate is kind of scary, but it is possible, especially when you do it together. So I'm going to close our time tonight just by praying for you that you'll have the strength to commit to those things. And I ask you to join me in that prayer as well. So go ahead and bow. Dear Jesus, I'm so thankful that you've given me a chance to be here with these girls tonight. There are a lot of ladies in this room. And what I love about that is that I know without a doubt already that they're not alone. They can live separately. They can change their lifestyle. They can be different right where they are when everything around them stays the same. And they can be confident in that because first of all, they've got you. And second of all, they've got each other. And that's something that not everybody has. It's a true gift. And so Father, I pray that you help them to see that tonight. That you give them the confidence that they need to stand out and to stand up and to stand alongside each other as sisters in this body of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a student ministry sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about the student ministry or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.